This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So this tonight, Baruch Hashem, we reach Rishchadosh Elul. Elul is the month of Anila Daidi Daidi Li. I am Tashem, Hashem is to me. Ishtari Eyo Matanus Levyanim. So when we start to do tshuva, we start to prepare for Shoshana, the big day of judgment. So I want to learn a Mishnah in Perik Vav and Perik Avos. One of the last missions in Perkeavos, actually it's Pera, it's Mishites. And it tells a story, but we're gonna look at the story a little bit differently than just translating what the words say. Amaravi Amar first wanna just translate the words. Amar Rabbi Yesi ben Kisma. Rabbi Yesi ben Kisma said, once I was walking on the way, in the street, in the way, Upaga bi and a man met me. And he said, Shalom Aleichem. And I said back, I said back, Aleichem Shalom. Amali, this man said to me, he says, Rabbi Yehudah ben Kisma, Rabbi, Rabbi, what place are you coming from? Where do you come from? Ramatalo, I told him, I'm from a large city of wise men and of tzaddikim and of seifrim. Amali, so this man who met me said, Rabbi, Rabbi, would you move to us? Would you, would you move into our place where I live? If you do that, ten thousand gold coins, and umargolias, and precious stones and jewels. So this guy meets this rabbi and he makes him a crazy offer. Imagine, I wish I met a guy like this, right? He says, listen, if you're willing to leave Brooklyn and come to where I live, I will give you 10,000 gold coins, you do the math, what that's worth, and jewels and, and diamonds. Just by meeting me, right? Okay. Amati Lo. So Rabbi Yosef and Kisma said to him, Listen, mister, I don't know you, but I tell you, if you gave me all the silver... He didn't offer him silver, but whatever. All the silver, gold, and precious stones in the whole world. I'm only going to dwell in a place of Torah. There's many questions. I'm going to tell you all the questions on this Mishnah. Right? The obvious question here is, how does he know that this man is not coming from a town of Torah? In other words, he said, if you gave me all the money in the world, I'm not going with you. I would not, I would not move to a place where there's not, Who told you there's no Torah in this guy's place? He never told him there's no Torah. Maybe there's even more rabbis in his place than in his place. So why is he making this statement? I'm not going anywhere to a place where there's no Torah. We'll see soon. Um, he says, and he quotes uh, in, in, in Tehillim, Your words of Torah are worth more to me than all the money in the world. Below Ode. Just give this guy a whole speech. Below Ode. Not only that. When a person dies, when a person leaves this world, Ain Malavin Lailadam, they don't um what's Malavin? Um escort. There's a person Laibikesef with they don't escort him with silver, they don't escort him with gold, they don't escort him with diamonds, they don't escort him with cars, they don't escort him with phones, you can have an iPhone five, they don't throw that into your grave, right? You're not gonna be getting too many calls. Right? Ella, Tyra Maisam Tyvan Bavad. All you have is your good deeds and your Tyra. Shanama, the Hislachikha Tanha Aisah. 
on your way, right? While you're laying, when you're in your grave, it'll watch you. So, so the mission explains. In, in, in this world, and when you're in your grave, like you say, you see, 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 who this guy didn't ask for a whole Muslim story? Did he just invited him to go to his city? What are you ragging on him? You ragging on him? Ah, you know, giving a whole Muslim schmooze. Money doesn't go with you to the next world. Who? Where did he say money was going? Where, where, where does this come from? What's going on over here? That's one, two. There's a few. There's a bunch of questions here. Upaga bo ish echad. Paga means to to damage, to hurt. Pagia is to like if you bang into someone, right? So that's not the way he met him, right? What's Upaga be Adam Echad? And also, if Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma was a tzaddik, we know that a tzaddik always says Shalom Aleichem first. One of the things that a tzaddik does is, it was, it was a Tana that never in his life said, um, said Shalom, said Aleichem Shalom, said Aleichem Shalom to someone. Because anytime he met him, he always said Shalom Aleichem first. He didn't wait for the other person to say Shalom Aleichem, he was always first. So how come Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma didn't say Shalom Aleichem to him? Right? He said Shalom. The person said Shalom Aleichem to him first. Right? If he was a tzaddik, Rabbi Yisrael Kisman, he should have said it to him first. So a bunch of questions on this mission. So what's really going on in this mission? Not what it looks like at all. Now I'll translate it for you. Amar Rabbi Yisrael Ben Kisman. So it's talking about a soul. And it's talking about an neshama. And a neshama... Um, so I'm going to tell you two different translations. So, so one here, he met the Yetzirah. Right? Pamachas ha'yisim ha'alak I was going on the way. Upagabi adam echad. And the Yetzirah met me. Right? Like all of us, you're doing your thing. You're going to work. You're growing up. Whatever you're doing in your life. Right? You're going on the derech. You're not off the derech. You're on the derech. Mahalak baderech. You're living your life. What happens? Upagabi adam echad. All of a sudden... The, the Satan, the devil, the Yitzhahara, he shows up, whatever he's got, movies, whatever he came up with, right? Boom, you, you made a turn and you're like, oh my God, what am I, what did I get myself into here, right? But Nathalie Shalom, and the Yitzhahara is always very friendly. Hey, what's up? How you doing? We're just gonna do this once. You know, we spoke about this once about, you know, every addict, whether it's drugs or cigarettes or drinking, Always starts with one. Everything starts with one. Right? You had one drink. You had one drug. Whatever you do always starts with one. Nothing starts with two. Well, unless you're drinking two cups, two glasses at one time. But we're not going to go to, to those guys. A normal person always starts with one. Right? And, and it's interesting because I've had these discussions. It's not really my share tonight. But, um, really, what's the problem with one? One drink, one cigarette, I don't even want to say whatever, one, right? Okay, so I did one thing once in my life. It's, uh, it's not the end of the day, right? You're right? Well, so I can do it once and I can step out of it. Any drug addict can tell you. Any, any addict, forget drug addict, whether it's, whether it's drinking, smoking, gambling, or anything, anything that a person's addicted to, 
I've yet to meet an addict that told me I can't stop. Every single guy says the same thing. If I want to stop, Brother Wallstein, I don't need rehab. I can stop today. So why aren't you stopping? I don't want to stop. But tomorrow, when I want to stop, right? Or we have these guys that that are, that are friends. Some of them are people that I know. That they're like, I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. Every Shabbos, you are drunk out of your brains. We have to carry you home from shul after the kiddush, right? You sleep till myriv. What do you mean? You, what do you mean you're not an alcoholic? My proof that I'm not an alcoholic is I don't drink a whole week. I'm only a Shabbos drinker, right? So what's wrong with that? Or I play. I, I, I go to casino. I play blackjack or poker, but I never bet on horses. I've had guys that are that are addic- addicted to gambling, and their proof to themselves and to everyone else is: if I was a gambler, then I would bet on horses, and I would bet on sports, and I would bet on everything that I could bet on. But I don't bet on sports. I don't bet on horses. So I'm not really a gambler. I just like I like to play cards. Ah, you just lost your house and your wife and your car and all the money in your business, and you're online all the time playing poker. I know, but, 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 but I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't bet on horses. So, so the Yitzhara fools us always. And he, and he, he makes us focus on what we don't do. Are you getting blitzed every Shabbos? No, no, no. But, but I don't drink the rest of the week. So, so what's the real problem with it? So, and, and this is what this mission is saying. The mission is saying, right? Right? One man, one man, he just met me once, right? Once, one meeting. We just had one meeting. So the problem with it, is what we call the road, we, we call the road closed, which I've given a share on this, but it's very, very important, and, and, and people don't realize that. You know, you, you look at one wrong picture on the, on the internet, you, you return one of those emails that you shouldn't, right? And then you get all scared and you turn it off, you're like, I'm not gonna do this again. So the problem is as follows. In a person's, um, mentality, we, we create roads. Many, many roads. Like a GPS. There are many roads in our, all our actions that we do in our life creates a road in our soul, actually. Now, if you have a person who never drank, never did, never smoked marijuana, never did any of this stuff, so now he's going through life, he just got married, he's very happy, but a year down, he just lost his job, his wife's screaming at him, um, he, he's, in a, he's in the last place in his league, in his ball, in his, in his back, everything in his life is going wrong. So we automatically, subconsciously, go to what we call our escape road, our road to escape. As kids, we grow up, we develop, you know, places to go in our brain when people are screaming at us, when we're having a bad day. So let's say you have a guy who never smoked, never, never smoked a joint, never did a drug. So in his mentality, there is no such road called drugs. So when he needs escape from his depression or whatever, the pressure that he's going through, there's no such word. He never did a drug. So he doesn't know that it can make him escape. He doesn't know what it feels like. So the way he used to escape, whatever that road is, that's where he's going to go. It could be chocolate. It could be, it could be exercising. It could be going to a movie. It could be a million different things. Whatever he created as an escape route, that's there. Now. Now this guy who just smoked a little bit of marijuana when he was a kid with his friends, a little peer pressure, and now, and he hasn't done it for five years. He kicked the habit, right? And now, life's not so good, and he's under a lot of pressure, and he's sitting in his office, and 
there's a few for you his friends that smoke up and he knows that he can get a joint now what happens is he has a, he has what we call the road closed in other words he stopped he kicked it he doesn't gamble he doesn't drink he kicked it so what did he do he took his escape road that used to say marijuana or drugs and he put a he put up a thing that says do not cross roadblock those orange things have a good day right so we all know that anytime you come to that roadblock if you have to leave on the block on that block where they closed it up what do you do? You get out of your car, you move them, right? You pull in, you pull them back, and you go into your driveway. So, so when he's under that kind of pressure, he goes to that escape road. There is such a road. Now, the road says, do not enter, because I've been there before, and it's not a good place. And it has these things on it, but it's just one more time. It's not going to really change my life. Right now, I remember, it's, it's, it's even subconscious. My brain remembers that the, when I was under pressure as a youngster, I smoked up. So my brain is looking for that place. So it's much easier to go back to that road because it exists. If the road doesn't exist, you can't go there. So a person who drinks on Chavez definitely will end up drinking during the week if he's going through a situation. There is no such thing. And a person who gambles, if he's losing it there and he has a chance to gamble on something else, he'll gamble on something else. And that is why 90% of drug addicts, or any addict, who goes to rehab, 90% relapse. That's a crazy number. We pay, people pay $26,000 a month, $40,000 a month. So I said, why are we sending them there? Why are we sending them there? And the answer is, success is amount of time between relapses. So they spend $30,000, and then he relapsed in 30 days. And then they spent another $30,000, but this time he went for 90 days. And then they, they spent another $30,000, this time he went for 180 days. And they're trying to get him to a point where there's such a long stretch. The problem with it is, is that the road exists. And once that road exists, it's there forever. And even if you close it, as much as you close it, it's a place that you will go back to. Now, you may get back there and say, uh, right? But if you don't have the road... You never did. That's what's called a very aggressive error in the Mishnah. In, in the Mishnah. Same as what, the Mishnah. Ab- absolutely. That's why where they do, where they stand, a regular person can't say because he never, he never tasted a lobster. So this guy, but, but, the Rambam says that a person who does a real tshuva and he goes and he admits what he did wrong and he faces what he did wrong and he feels bad about what he does wrong and he who does a real tshuva According to the Zayar, he's called the Beria Chadasha. Beria Chadasha means a new creation. And according to the Rambam, you're really supposed to change your name. We don't pass him like that. But that's how much tshuva can do. We're going into Ella. That's how much tshuva can do. But psychologically, there's no question. And that's why I tell kids, don't even take, don't, don't take the first joint. So once you taste that thing, it's going to be in your head all your life. Yes, you may have big roadblocks. If you don't have the road, that's why... People who went through the who went through the Holocaust, like my, my mother-in-law, is always saying to Hillam, "Why? Because when they were going through the Holocaust, what was their escape? Right? Where did they go? What did they do? They weren't smoking up. They weren't drinking. They said to Hillam. Everybody said to Hillam. So today, when she's worried about her kids and she's worried about her grandkids and she's worried about this and she's worried about that, where does she go? To a cigarette? No. Drinking? No. To chocolate? No. She goes to what her brain." As a young person, when she was going through problems, where it used to go, it used to go to Tehillim. So now that's where it's going. It's going to Tehillim. So you create your escape routes, and and the more stuff you do once, then you create this escape route.
and the more you do it, the bigger the highway. In other words, you do it once, it's a small little path to get out. You do it, you do it, you do it, you do it, all of a sudden you have a six-lane highway. And it's like very hard to close a six-lane highway. So, so what's happening over here in this Mishnah is talking about the Yitzhahara who's coming and saying, right, Shalom Aleichem! I'm your friend. So he said, I didn't say Shalom Aleichem first because Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma understood who, is, who showed up. So he wasn't going to say Shalom Aleichem to him. Once he said Shalom Aleichem, you have to say Aleichem Shalom. But he wasn't going to start first. He knew it was the Yitzhahara. He wasn't going to start. He knew this was not a, bad, a good guy. But this was the Yitzhahara. Okay. Omali, so he said to him, Rebbe, where are you from? What's your source? Where are you from? Who are you? So what did he answer? You know where I'm from? I'm from, I'm from the other world. My neshama came from Ganeiden. My neshama came from Olam Haba. My neshama came from under the Kisei Kovat of Hashem. So he said, do you want to know where I'm from? I come from the highest place. You know, I'm a neshama. I'm a soul. See, it's a hurry against the soul here. And he's like, he's like, I come from the greatest place in the world. So, Omali, Yitzhara said, Rabbi, Neshama, Saul, Yanki, Chaim, Moshe, Rat Yehuda, Eli. We want you to live with us, says the Yitzhara. We want you to live in that high spiritual world. Come to the world, chill, man. Hang out with the boys. Let's go to the movies. Let's go girls and drinking. You come from a place like that, forget about that. Not only that, very scary, very scary. Yitzhara tells you, and you're going to have a good time in my world. I'm going to give you gold, and I'm going to give you good stuff, jewels. In my world, I'm going to give you everything you want. It's going to be one fat party. We're going to have the best time. You're going to make money, and we're going to gamble, and we're going to do everything that we want to do. Unbelievable, Neshama, come on! What are you doing? Amati lo. So Rav Yosef and Kisma said to him, you can give me all the gold and all the silver and all the jewelry in the world. I know where you come from. That's why he didn't act. That's why he knew that he wasn't coming from a yeshiva. with was the Sahara. He said, I only want to live in a spiritual place. I'm in a shama. I come from the biggest, highest place in the world. Don't, I'm not interested in going to your place with all your diamonds and your jewels and having a good time and partying. And he said, and I'll tell you something, Yitzhara. So Yitzhara was like, why not? Lamaisa, what are you talking about? I'm offering you a party. You're telling me you're going to sit and sit on a bench and sit and learn Torah. What are you going to have? You're going to have fun? You're going to have girls? You're going to have whiskey? You're going to have drugs? You're going to have a party? Come on. Come on. You don't have anything. Right? That's what he told him. So he answered him, and he said to him, really? He says, that's true. For a person who wants to live in the moment, you're right, Yitzhara. Your life is great. But an Ashama doesn't live in the moment. He says, as it says in Tehillim, I'd rather learn one word of Torah than all your enjoyment. He said, Yitzhara, I hear you, but you're only good for 80 years, 70, 80 years. Not even that long, because you're not partying until you're 80 years old, right? So he says, When a person dies, I'm not taking no clubs with me, I'm not taking no girls with me, I'm not taking no drugs with me, I'm not taking no fancy Maserati with me, I'm not taking all this stuff with me, I'm not taking a bunch of DVDs with me. He says, so you're trying to sell me like a short little party over here. 
He says, but who's going to walk me into the next world? He says, only, only thing that goes with a person, right? That's why he's giving a musr. He's actually talking to himself. He's having this fight with his good spirit against his bad spirit. He's actually talking to himself. And he's saying, right? Why is he giving this guy musr, right? And he's saying, none of this stuff goes with me. And therefore, I'm not interested. This, this was the discussion that happened that happened over here. Now, there's a very interesting Mishnah, which I have a totally different look at, which is the which is the first Mishnah in Perik Shlishi, in Perik Yavos. It says the following: Akavu b'Mahalal Omer, Akavu b'Mahalal says, Histaka b'Shloishit Varim ve'Enatol Bali De'Avera. If you think about these three things, you won't sin. You think about these three thoughts. You will not sin. Okay? Dama ayam basa. Know where you come from. If you think about where you come from, you won't sin. Ula'ana tohelech. Think about where you're going, and you won't sin. Ulefni me'ata asa litinem cheshben. And in front of who, in the end of the days, you're going to have to give judgment. Okay? What are you telling me here? So ask the mission. Ayam basa. Where does the person come from? Me'tipas rucha. From a... Rotten, putrid drop. Nice, huh? That's a nice thing. That's, we're going to really feel good about ourselves after this Mishnah. Where are you going? You're going to a place of dirt and maggots and worms. Beautiful. And who are you going to have to give judgment on Judgment Day? In front of the King of Kings, HaKadosh Baruch Now, we all in this room know that if a person, first of all, depression is not the way of the Torah, that you're going to burn and you're going to die, and that's not what God wants from us. So this mission is a very down Mishnah. Pretty much what it says is like this. You're coming from nowhere, and you're going nowhere, and at the end of nowhere, you're going to have to answer to how you behave between coming from nowhere and going nowhere. Like, God, why am I, like, what are you, a sadist? Like, what are you putting me in this world for? According to this Mishnah, Right? Life is like this. You come from a putrid, rotten drop. You go into maggots. And then, by the way, if you think you had a good time, and you're going to get away with it in between, you're going to give a judgment day too. This is a very depressing down Mishnah. If you don't understand what the Mishnah is really saying. So, in one way it could work. You know? If I'm going from nowhere, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming from nowhere, and I'm going nowhere... And in the end, that well, then you know, so I'm not going to be a big shot because the worm's going to eat me. So what's the difference how my hair is brushed and how my what my car looks like, right? And, I, and I'm coming from nowhere. What does that mean? I'm coming from nowhere. Like, what are you trying to say here? Yeah, I, what do you mean I'm coming? My mother, you know, got pregnant, and what do you mean I'm, I'm coming from nowhere from a future drop? What are you saying here? This is very important because it has a lot to do with this week's parsha. And the answer is, it's just the opposite of what you're thinking. The, the the reason that a person sins and the reason that a person gets addicted and the reason that a person does a lot of bad things in his life is because honestly he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't think anything of himself. So he's like if I'm a nobody, so you know what? Who cares? You know the Torah tells you you're a nobody. Till now you were nobody. You're always going to be a nobody. So go have a good time, right? Listen, this mission you can look at the other way. Right? If I taught this mission in a different class, they would say like this. You really should party. Because you're coming from nowhere. And in the end, you have nothing. So in between, you're going to have the best time that you're going to have. 
Because in the end, you have nothing. You're a maggot. In the beginning, you're nothing. So you're in the world. What should you do? Right? I just had a discussion with a girl this week. She decided she's an atheist. I must talk to you, Rebel Alston. I'm an atheist. I get this all the time. I'm like, I'm like, really? Yeah. What's your atheism based on? How could God live so long? I said, that's your, that's your, that, that's your question? How could God live so long? I mean, let me ask you something. According to you, how did the world come about? Oh, I believe in the Big, big Bang. A bunch of molecules got together and they banged into each other and the world exploded. And um, I said, so you believe in everything is random. I like that word. Just everything's random. So the world came in random, so you're random. So that you're sitting in front of me right now is totally random. Like, you could drop dead in a second. You could, right? And, and, and being smart is random, and being rich is random, being good-looking is random. Everything's random, right? You believe everything's random. Let me ask something. How, long, how old do you think the world is? 50 billion years. I said, 50 billion years? Okay. Um, if we go outside, and we see it, and we go, we go into the mountains a little bit, and we see a rock... How long do you think that rock has been there? She said 50 billion years, because a rock doesn't grow, and a rock doesn't shrink, and it's a big rock. It was here since the beginning of the world when everything exploded. I'm like, ah, so a rock, you understand, can live 50 billion years, but God can't. Right, what's your, right? If a rock, oh, you're not, you're not asking me on a rock. How could it be a rock? How could that be a rock? How could it live 50 million years? I'm like, no, you didn't ask me. You asked me about God. I'm like, how did the rock live 50 million years? Uh, I don't know. I said, you want to believe that you're just random? There's nothing? Why don't I, I, like, like, so then why can't I just kill you randomly? Like, if everything's random, then we can just do whatever we want. There's no God, there's no creator, there's no creation, there's, there's no point in the world. The world just happened to have exploded and monkeys, I said, you believe you're from a monkey? I do not agree with that. I do not think, you might be, but I said, I don't think I'm from a monkey, right? That's for sure, right? So, so, so everything's just random. So you're living your life in a world that's just random, and just people live and people die, and people live and people die, and then why can't you just everyone kill each other and blow each other up and do whatever they want? Because everything's random, right? I just feel like doing this. The world just felt like happening. I'm like, come on, what's like, what's like, what's like really going on over here? And of course it wasn't that. Because... The, <laughs> How could the world just happen? Nothing, even science, and that's why I tell everybody, stop being an atheist, because even science, which you believe in, agrees that nothing can come from nothing. So those two molecules that hit each other, that blew up and became a world, right? Um, someone had to create those molecules. No matter, no matter how far back you go, right? Something had to be created. Something had to be created. When now, when you say something had to be created, you are also saying that there is a creator. Because something cannot be created unless there's a creator. Now that's science. Science says from nothing can't come, can't come anything. It, what, right, who cares? Who cares? What do I care? Who created your mother? Who created your grandma? Who created your great-grandma? You really care? You know that you can't, you, you can't save this world. A goldfish, a goldfish. Right, so I understand that. I, I have no idea. I don't care. No, I'm saying I can't, I can't care because I can't understand it. It's like me sitting on a plane saying, so, how does this 50,000 ton piece of metal fly through the air? Now, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't learn physics. I didn't learn aeronautics. I have no idea, right? So if I sit there and just ask that question, I'm a dope. 
What do you ask the question? Go learn. <laughs> Go learn. You want to know how? Go learn. So if you want to know a little bit more, then you have to start learning and you have to start going into Kabbalah and you'll get a little glimpse, a little bit of what's going on in the world, right? Um, Rabbi Tat speaks about it. The, the people who, who really worked on it, Rabbi Aya Kaplan speaks about it. Not even, but we understand my goldfish doesn't need to know. He knows every morning I feed him. He doesn't know, need to know what stock I bought today. It has nothing to do with his life. So I just know, right? I, I don't need to know who God's father is or he had a father or how many worlds. I need to know, like Rabbi Gamil said, this girl came, I was sitting by him, my, my Rebbe, and she comes in and she says, Rabbi, do you read palms? Because they're totally heavily, right? Do you read palms? And my Rebbe said, nice, he's a nice man. He said, why do you want me to read your palm? And she said, because I heard there are lines on your palm that say what you were last time when you were in the world. They're all, right? What your Gilgal is. So he said, come back to me when you know what you are this time. I'll tell you what you were last time. What, what do you... So if you're looking, if you're looking not to have a God, not to do the mitzvahs, not to do the Torah, then you're going to ask questions, questions, questions. But, but you, you can't ask a question that you don't know, that you can't understand. I understand, I understand that my brain capacity, no matter what I'm going to do at the end of the, and, and is not big enough. My brain capacity is not big enough to learn all the secrets. We, we, we're trying to figure out God. We haven't figured out how to kill a cancer cell. Hello? That's one cell. We can't cure cancer. With all the human beings, our brains and computers and, and, and Google and, 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 and Apple and all this stuff, one little cell, we can't kill it. So I'm going to try to figure out God. I can't figure out an, an Uno cell. I'm going to figure out the creator. I can't figure out how to kill a stupid cell. We forget, forget cancer. Forget cancer. We cannot kill a virus. If you have a virus, you go to the doctor, he says, antibiotics don't work. You have to just wait it out. Right? The flu. We have nothing for the flu. We can't kill the flu. A cold! The Gemara says it. A cold! You have a cold? I can't cure you. We have no cure for a cold. A basic, stupid cold. Nothing. A basic cold. The human being with all our intelligence, we cannot give you a pill to help you with your cold. It's going to have to run its course. And a virus has to run its course. And the flu has to run its course. And cancer. So all this, all our geniuses and all our stuff, it's one cell in a billion cells in your body. We can't get it. And we're going to figure out, this girl, we're going to figure out God who created the one cell that we can't even move, we can't, we can't do anything with it. God has created the cold. We want to know who created the cold. Well, we can't even figure out how to cure the cold. Come on. We have break. So, if I don't want to do the mitzvahs, yes, then I'm going to start asking a lot of questions. If I want to go on the flight to Israel, I'm not asking questions about the plane. If I don't want to go on the flight, I'm going to start asking questions. Well, that looks too heavy. And that looks right, right? I got all these questions, right? You know, this, 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 this lady in front of me took four pieces of luggage. Will that make the plane crash? You know, because it's too heavy, you know? Do we have to shift from one side of the plane to the other? Because there's a bunch of heavy people on one side of the plane. But if I want to go to Israel, I'm like, I don't care. You know, it's it's um, it's in relationships also. So when you have shiduchim, right? Even you know, like like after marriage, I just had today whew, a shalom bias thing, whatever. And their mom is picking at each other every little thing, like just ripping each other's hearts out. And I said to them, I said, I can't help you in this in this zone. In this zone, you just want to kill each other. So I can't help you when you want when you you know when you like each other. Eh, okay, so you. 
You didn't make me a coffee today. Okay, fine. You know, because she didn't do that. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. When you're not getting along with each other, every little thing. How do I know? How do I know? Prove it. I don't know. I don't, right? So, when you have a relationship with a Kush Baruch, I'm not, I'm not looking, don't have to prove yourself, God. Don't have to prove yourself. I can't understand you. I'll never understand you. Just like the chickens won't understand me. When I go to the zoo, those things don't understand me either. I'm a human being. They have no way to explain to an elephant what this two-legged Meshuggah who's throwing peanuts at me. What is the deal with him, right? Imagine, imagine an elephant trying to figure in the circus in Ringling Brothers. Thousands of people, right, s- sitting there munching on potato chips and things like that, right? And then these little people, the little kids and the big people, from an elephant's eyes, he, he's like, well, uh, you know, he has no idea what we're doing. That so you're paying money to see them, they talk about the mouse Why? Because he's an animal, he doesn't have the ability. We know we don't have the ability. The Yitzhah tells us, you gotta ask questions. If you don't, if you don't ask questions, then you have to accept. So what we hear, the Yitzhah was just telling, uh, telling him, well, tell you the neshama, listen, the bottom line is, if your taka are not coming from nowhere and going nowhere, so then why don't you party? So let me tell you the answer to this mission. Amazing. So the, the, the biggest kayak, and I see it today in marriages, in relationships, in kids, in, 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 in kids going off to derech, in kids, forget about going off to derech, in the Gaisha world, in, in, in suicide, in depression, in medicine, in therapy, the greatest problem of the human being is low self-esteem if you believe you can do something then you'll do it as long as you don't believe you can do something you won't do it so this Mishnah looks like it's the king of breaking your self-esteem you come from nowhere you're going nowhere and at the end of the day you're going to have to answer for everything so like why should I get up in the morning but the Mishnah is saying just the opposite the Mishnah is saying the following it's very, like, ugly, right? You come from a, a putrid seed, a putrid cell, a rotten cell, right? It's very hard to understand. But in fact, every seed, when you plant it in the ground, first rots, and then it grows. Why not Hashem make that happen? Put it in the ground. I did it when we were all kids. They had that jar with those lima beans, right? They get all fuzzy and mushy and ugly, and then a little green plant grew out of them. Why does it have to rot before it grows? Right? So the mission is saying, what the mission is saying over here is unbelievable. If you look at the way that human beings um, reproduce, so there, the man, there are a million cells. A million cells are fighting and racing to get to that egg. Right? To, 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 to make a fetus. Only one cell makes it. Only one man's cell makes it. The rest all die. Millions die. One cell makes it to the egg and fertilizes the egg. Now that cell is the fastest, strongest of them all. Which means, why not Hashem do that? Just take, Hashem, the woman only produces one egg, unless she's having twins. So produce one egg, and the man should produce one cell. That one cell meets the one egg, have a good day, you have a child. What's with the million of them? What's the deal with that? Just one cell, and one cell. Nothing in this world God does for no reason. Butterfly, pearl, everything I give a share about. So you have to think about it. So, so why not Hashem make one man cell, one female cell, put them together and have a good day? The female only has one cell. Right? The answer is Neuridic. That means that every single guy in this room, and every single woman in the world, every single human being, already struggled against a million others and made it. You're the one that made it. You beat them all. So if you you coming to the world, you're like, I can't do it. 
I, 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 I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the Bria is saying, what do you mean you can't do it? You did it before you even got here or you wouldn't be here. That's what the mission is saying. You're coming from a tipa shrucha. The rest of them all rotted. You're the only one that made it. Hello? Wake up. And if you understand that, why would you sin? You're the one that made it. You got the potential to bring Mashiach. You have the potential to get close to... You're the one that made it of all of them. They're all gone. And what are you going to answer to all of them after 120 years? So you made it. So what did you do with your life, man? We all didn't make it. You made it. Had, we, had I made it, I would, I would have never done the things that you did. So he says, a stockle, if you think about, that I am here because I already struggled before I was even a being. I was, wasn't even a person. I was nothing. I already struggled and I already won the race. I won the race. That's why it's not just one. So it's in your genes, in your genetics of your physical body and your spiritual body and your mental body, you are a winner. And that's what the mission is saying. And if you think about it like that, then no, no satan is going to get you down. What's with the reem of a salaya? Okay, I'm a winner, but look at the end. At the end, I'm going to worms and maggots. The best thing that can happen to you. Why? Because when you come up to Beth and Shalmaila and they judge you, you're like, you did this, you did that, you did this. Listen, what do you want from me? I'm worm food. I'm maggot food. What do you want from me? That's what I am. I, I end up going to the ground and becoming nothing. So I'm a nothing. So what, so what did you expect from me? It's an excuse. Just, but only if you live that way. If you walk around, you're a Balgaiva. Elena Shabach, he says this. If you walk around, you say, I'm a big shot. You know who I am? And you can't come to Shemayim and say later, listen, what do you want from me? I'm a maggot, you know, maggot food. I'm worm food. If you're living a life like a big shot, you can't say that. But if you live your life as a modest person, Hashem, I, listen, I, what am I? In the end of my day, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm a worm for a maggot. So what do you expect from a maggot? You know, maggot food. What do you expect from me? Come on. Don't give me a hard time. And who gives you a din v'cheshven? Melech ma'chem lachem baruch That's who you're going to. In the end, you're going to the king of kings, HaKadosh Baruch who will judge you. And we know that a person gets judged by HaKadosh Baruch he treats us in a certain way that, that if you go to his judgment, that Yitaka always come out with, with a schus. So at the end, what do you want from me? I'm, 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 I struggle to get into this world. Um, when I come out of the world, I'm a nobody. So I'm, I'm not so strong. Listen, I'm a human being. I'm not so strong. You know, what can I do? I tried. This mission is not a downer. This mission is the opposite. This mission is an upper. When a person thinks about that and he understands that he already won this war, he already won this fight, then you can beat the Yetzirah. Hey man, Yetzirah, you're one angel. I beat... A million other, other, other cells. And each one of them has an angel. Each one of those cells has an angel. That we know. If you do the wrong thing with them, those angels become destructive angels. So we know that each one of those cells, and there are millions of them, have an angel. So you already beat all those angels. You beat them. You made it. So now the Yitzhah is coming to you. Hey man, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. I'm an angel killer. Don't mess with me. I made it to this world. I'm the guy. I'm the man. Get away from me. That's what he told him. He said, what are you bothering me for? I'm not going to your world. I'm going to a place of Torah and Mitzvahs. Maybe the commission. Which brings us to a medrash, this week's parsha. Medrash in parsha Shaftim that says, Shaftim b'shaftim titin l'chobachol shirecha. First parsha in Shaftim that you should bring judges 
and policemen at all your gates. So it says your gates, your gates is your mouth. We know that a person's mouth, you know, the most terrible thing a person does. He talks Lashon Hara. gave us different gates. For our eyes, he gave us eyelids that we can close. We don't want to see something we're not supposed to. So he gave you a gate that you can close. Your ear, he gave you an earlobe. If you don't want to hear Lashon Hara, you can close. Your mouth, because it's such a powerful weapon, he had to give us two gates. He gave us our lips and he gave us our teeth. So he says, Make sure that you have something, some preventive measures at all your gates, at your eyes, at your ears, and at your mouth. Those are the gates of your body. We call them the gates in Shemayim. Above your shoulders are called the gates of Shemayim. Below your shoulders are the gates of the Aretz, right, in Kabbalah. So those gates, you need to put guards on there. You need to... Be careful what you look at. You need to be careful what you hear. You need to be able to walk out of a room when people are talking, you know, Lashon Hara. You, be, you have to be able to look the other way with things that you're not supposed to. But, there's a fascinating Medrash. I don't know if I ever learned it with this Chabur. I learned it many years ago. But I don't know, but I think before you guys were here. The Medrash says the following. Shlomo HaMelech in Mishlei said the following. Leich El Nemola. Go to the ant. Go to the ant. Watch what it does, and you'll become wise. Ants don't have, I don't know if you ever looked at an ant farm, it's pretty amazing. Ants don't have, um, um, what's it called, watch um, judges and, and policemen. Okay. He says the following. She prepares in the summer its, its food. Let's see how he translates it here. And stores up her food in the harvest time. So listen to this. Listen to this. Amazing. Why did Shlomo Melech say that lazy people should concentrate and look at the ant? Rabbanon Amri, the Rabbanon say, Hanamala, the ant, she has three houses. You ever see an ant farm? It's top, middle, and bottom. Three, they, they have three levels. Okay. She doesn't bring any of her food in the top floor because of the rain. It'll, it'll rain, right? You ever see an ant hole? It's like very, very small. It'll rain and all the stuff that they, that they stored up will be, will be washed away. So they don't put it in the top floor. They don't put the grain in the bottom floor. Then they have Tina because of the mud. The mud will ruin the grain. Where do they store their food? In the middle floor. Now how long does an ant live? Says the, says the Medrash. It only lives six months. Lama. Why does it only live six months? A being that Hashem created that has no veins and has no vertebrae, has no bones. It only lives six months. How long, how much does an ant eat in those six months of its life? One and a half kernels of wheat. That's it. So its whole life, it eats one and a half 
kernels of wheat. Okay? And it gathers a whole summer, whatever it could find. Chitin, wheat, iron, barley, adoshin, beans. And her whole life, all she eats is one and a half kernels of wheat, which is teeny. So why is he gathering a whole summer? You know, busy as, you know, working at, ants don't stop working. So what, what, if they're only going to live for six months and they only need one and a half grains, it should take one day. So why are they learning? This is unbelievable measures. So why are they working a whole summer? So this is what he says, Rav Tan Chuma. Sha'amra. Because the ant says, Shema Yigza Kodesh Baruch Hu Chayim. Maybe God, maybe my life will be different, the ant says, and I'll live more than six months. And maybe God will give me life. And then I'll have something to eat. If I'm not prepared... And I end up living for two years, and I only bring enough food for half a year. I'm going to die. So maybe God's going to change. Maybe my life's going to be different than all the other ants' life, and therefore I got to keep working. Amar of Shimon Baichai. Of Shimon says the following: My Sahaya, there was a story. Umatsu Baba, and they found in a hole that the ants made. Shalah that belonged to the ants. Shaloish Meos Kor. Three. 100 core. Now, you want to know what 300 core is? Tell you what 300 core is. Three hundred core is equal to 4,320 chicken eggs. Uh-oh. Okay? 4,000, the amount. How much did they find in this hole, the ant hole? 4,320 eggs. That amount of... Of, of, of beans. Okay? That's a crazy amount. 4,320 eggs. Okay. So, what's going on over here, right? That they gathered from the summer to the winter. Shlomo said, go to the ant if you're lazy so that you can see its ways and you can grow wise. So what does the Gemara what does what does what does the Medrash say? Is Skino You have to feel the same way. That Hakadosh Baruch is going to give me a long life, and therefore I'm going to need to collect for the next world. I need to collect my mitzvahs. A madach an ant says, who knows it's only going to live six months? Maybe God will make me live longer. I better be prepared. You always have to be prepared. Surely a human being has to has to feel. That he always has to be prepared, and surely a human being has to know. And this, this is the connection to the other thing that I'm saying. Surely a human being has to know that nothing's impossible. If a little teeny ant can collect that amount because he's worried that maybe he's going to live for longer, Allah has come of a comma. A human being has to think about think about what's in the next world, and, and that that do you have the ability to to gather as many mitzvahs as this guy's gathering um, gathering beans. And this is something that's brought in the Medrash in Shaiftim. It also says very interesting that that, my, that ants never steal from each other. That they don't have police and they don't have guards. And you'll never see an ant. If another ant, he, he brings a story in the Gemara that they, an ant dropped one of these things and all the other ants went around it. They wouldn't touch it until the ant came back and got it. They don't steal from each other. Shlomo Melech was telling, was, was said, look at the ant, watch how he lives, learn from him. 
that don't think if you take somebody else's stuff that that's what's going to help you. He says, even the ant who works so hard, because I think they carry, I once read in science, they can carry like a crazy amount uh, 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 above their weight, times their weight. An ant can carry like, I don't know, you know how many times? 60 times its weight on its back. So here this ant that carried 60 times its weight, dropped it, and they all went around it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't touch it. That's what he says in the Medrash. They wouldn't touch it. So the human being has to understand that get, taking money from someone else illegally, that's not, it's not going to help you. Whatever you're supposed to get, that's what you're supposed to get. Okay, so we're going to end with two stories. One very scary story that I heard the Shabbos rocked my world totally. Um, and then we'll see if we have time for the other one. Maybe we'll say it next week. So somebody came up to me this, this Shabbos and told me the following story. And being that I'm a Rebbe, it's like a very scary story. Um, he said the story like this. There was a, 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 a young man. He was in yeshiva, maybe in yeshiva high school. And he comes into Shear and he's carrying his Gemara. Right? He comes walking to Shear. He's walking to Shear with his Gemara. We'll call him Ruvain. Right? He's coming to Shear. All of a sudden, this other guy walks over to him and says, That's my Gemara. He says, What are you talking about? This is my Gemara. He says, No, you took my Gemara. That's my Gemara. And the other kid starts to pull Ruvain's Gemara. Shimon starts to pull Ruvain's Gemara out of his hand. And Ruvain says, What are you doing? This is my Gemara. And they start fighting and they start pulling his Gemara. Right? And finally, Ruvain just rips it away from him and pushes it away. Leave me alone, it's my Gemara. The Rebbe saw this. And the Rebbe thought that Ruvain was stealing Shimon's Gemara. So he whacked Ruvain across the face. He thought, two guys fighting, Chutzpah is stealing this other guy's Gemara, right? And the guy's crying, or he's upset, whatever it is. So he gave him a slap across the face. Rosh Hashimah, happened to have been sitting in the basement he saw the whole thing this guy was moving was like going crazy I really slapped he slapped me right he was on fire the Rashiva walked over to him and said I saw you coming with the Gemara I saw him pull the Gemara I'm asking you to do me a favor please don't tell your parents what happened don't tell anybody about what happened whatever it is just just, be, just let it go let it go otherwise it's going to turn a whole big thing everybody's going to get into trouble just let it go so we let it go Fine. 43 years later. 43 years later. He goes to Eric Sistrel. And um, he knew this Rebbe lived in Eric Sistrel. Or it was in Yeshiva in Eric Sistrel and then he moved to America. I don't know exactly. It's not important. And um, he goes to visit and he hears that this rabbi that did it to him, whatever it is, he had yeshiva and yeah, that he, he said, you know what, I never told my rabbi that, um, that I was Michael him, you know, for what he did. I'll go visit him out, maybe I'll tell him that, you know, I'll tell him that I'm Michael him. No, I'm sorry, I messed it up. Oh, I totally messed it up. Sorry. I don't usually mess up stories. I messed it, I didn't mess it up, but I, there's a part, no, that's not, how, that's not how it went. That's not how it went down. Let's go back. Let's go back. Unusual for me. Okay. Let's go back. He had a dream. He had a dream, and in his dream, his father, who was, who had died already, this this guy, forty three years later, has a dream, and his father comes to him in a dream, and his father tells him, "You need to come. You need to come with me to Bezdin Shemayla now, to the court in Shemayim now." He's like, "No, because if I go there, I'm dead. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come out of my sleep." He knew that. He told his father, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not willing to go to Bezin Shemal. I'm sorry. I'm not willing to go. Okay. Next night, same dream. Father comes back to him in a dream. Says, they're waiting for you in Bezin Shemaylah. You have to come up and testify. So he said, about what? He says, I can't tell you. All I can tell you is, it happened 43 years ago. Okay, he wakes up in the morning. His mouth is all shaken. They want to take him to Bezin Shemaylah. That's it, he's done. Right? He's going to die. So, he sends a letter. This just happened. Sends a letter to Rav Chaim Kainevsky. And he says, I had two dreams in a row. My father came to me in a dream. My father said um, that they want me in Bezno Shalmaila about something that happened to me 43 years ago. So Rav Chaim said, what happened to you 43 years ago? He started thinking, he started thinking. He looked at what age he was, 43 years ago. He says, I know what happened to me 43 years ago. So he told Rav Chaim what happened, that he got slapped. Rav Chaim said, go find the person who slapped you. So he went and he comes to this person's house and he says to him, is the Rebbe in? Is the Rebbe here? Say, no, he's very, very sick and he's in a hospital. Okay? He goes to the hospital, the family's there and the family says, we really can't let you into the room. He has a very high fever, very weird sickness and people can't see him like this. And he says, listen, I, um, I had this dream and I, uh, I what's it called? I have to, uh, I have to, I have to give him a chila. And I, and, and this is what happened. And he told the family, he said, this is what happened. And, and, they, and, and it seems to be in Shemayim, they're tining, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever. Hey, to make a long story short, they all turn white. They're like, they're like, when they hear the story, what happened? They're like, they're like, okay, you know, go in and, you know, give him a chila, whatever it is. This is what he said. The guy told me the story. He says, I can tell you where to read it. The guy, so the boy walks in and the Rebbe's laying in the bed. He's in high fever. And his head, the rabbi's head, is going from one side to the other. One's like jerking from one side to the other, from one side to the other. And he goes over to him and he, he says, Rebbe, I just, I know you made a mistake. You thought that Shimon, that, that he took it from me, right? Whatever it is, I'm 100% Michael, I'm 100% 100% Michael. Okay? So he's Michael him. And a few days later, they tell him that he's better. Fever went down, the head stopped shaking. This is a story. Okay. A little while later, his father comes back to him in a dream. And he says, Now you really have to come to Shemayim, to Beth and Shemayim. So he calls Rabchayim and he says, To Rabchayim, what should I do? Rabchayim said, it's Mashma, if your father came back now, that he probably passed away. Find out if he passed away. He went, he talked passed away. And they're waiting for you in Bezna Shamayla. You have to, they want, they're, they want a clarification on the Mechila. Whatever it is. He said to Rabchaim, what should I do? Rabchaim said, take three Sadiqim and go to his grave right now and say in front of them that you're Mechilim. And Kachaya and his father never came back to him again his head was going from side to side because when he hit the kid that's what he made the, his, the kid's head when he hit him his face went to the side because he hit him so hard 
So his punishment was that his head kept going back and back and back. I'm like, I'm a Rebbe, and I'm like, oh my God, you should have told me this 35 years ago. This is a very scary story. But what the safe double of the story is, you don't get away with anything in the next world. You hurt somebody, you're going to pay for it. You don't get away with anything. Even if it was a mistake, you made a mistake. You thought it was Shimon. You, you hit him, you're going to pay for it. So until in Bezashamila they heard 100% for sure it was Michael and Belay Shalem, he was in big trouble. It's a story to have with Khan so it's not like a like a hundred years ago. How careful we have to be how we treat other people. Alright, so we'll end with this. We have five minutes. My favorite story for Elo. My favorite story for Elo is like this. So there was this king, a prince. In the old days, so they used to take a prince and marry him to a princess to bring two countries together. They didn't care if they liked each other. They wanted this country to be with this country. It was an arranged marriage. That's what they used to do. So they would, they would force them to get married, and that way the two countries would be, would be together. So this guy was a great-looking prince, whatever it is, and they married him to, the, to this princess by force. He had no choice. He was 18, 19 years old. He had no choice. And on the, on the marriage night, he tells her, listen, this is the deal. I don't like you. I'm never going to like you. I'm not interested in you. I got other girls that I'm interested in. My father made me marry you. Fine. You live on one side of the castle. I'm going to live on the other side of the castle. Stay out of my business. Stay out of my girls. Stay out of my work. Stay away from me. This, you want to be my parents and your parents want to make arrangements? Fine. I don't like you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Can you imagine that? On the night they got married, right? Have a nice day. Goodbye. Never, ever looked at her again. Never spent any time with her. Never looked at her. She didn't exist in his life. Okay. The king dies. His father dies. He's now 40. And he's like, I'm a king. I can marry more than one prince, more than one queen. Right? He's, so he decides he's going to marry one of his girlfriends that he had. Well, she would, you know, he never had anything to do with his wife. Girlfriend, he liked her. They knew each other for a long time. He decides he's going to marry her. Okay, so he marries her. I think I hope it's still on. It's still on. Hi, everybody. Anyway, so so he marries her. Fine. Now years go by. Years go by. Now he's like seventy-five years old. So the one he married is also old. And you know, you ever see these old guys like driving the Corvettes with the top down? Bald with that little ponytail in the back. They look like they're 90, right? All the guys in these fancy cars look like they're 90, and they have this young girl sitting next to them, and they feel like they own the world even though they're 90 years old, right? Never, you know, they always, they always, they always say, you can feel bad for a young fool, but don't feel bad for an old fool, right? So, you know, they don't want to ever, right? So this guy, this king, he's 80 years old, and he's like, well, I gotta be hanging out with a, you know, with an old lady. Get myself a young girl. So, of course, every young girl wants to be married to the king, palace, money, fame, right? So, he meets this, goes to this party, meets this 19-year-old girl, she's gorgeous, she's beautiful, he's like, wow, and she's like, making believe she likes him, right? And, and she's like, you're, you're amazing, you're, you I never met such a person like you, you're so wise and so powerful, and the king, and I would, oh, I, I, I would be, it would be my honor to be married to you, and he's like, oh my god, old fool, right? Like, you know? Wow, she really likes me. You know, it's not my money. It's my, uh, I'm, I still look so young. So he marries her. 
Right? So he's got three wives. Anyway, he goes from one party to the other, and he's showing off to all the old people, you know, all his old guys. Like, you know, you think you look at me, I got my 19-year-old beautiful girl on my hand, and she's like, you know, his museum piece, and he's going all over, and everyone's like, wow, he's got this model, that old guy, he's got the model, you know, they can't wait till he drops dead so they can get her, you know, whatever. You know, fine. One day, such a ridiculous story. One day, he becomes very, very sick. And he's dying. And he's on his he's he's in he's on his he's in his bed and he's dying, and life is life is slipping away. So he calls in the young girl. She's now married to him for a few years. Calls her in. He says, "Darling, you know you told me that I'm the only one in the world, and that 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 you can't live without me. You can never live without me. Well, I'm about to die. Would you get into bed and die with me?" We'll die in each other's arms, like in the movies, right? We'll go into the next world together. Anyway, you said you can't live without me, right? I have this point, this pill, right? We'll take the poison pill together. We'll die together like Romeo and Juliet. What a story. It'll be amazing. She looks at him. She says, you old, stupid, smelly fool. You want me to die with you? I can't wait till you're dead. Because when you are dead, I am the queen. And I get all the money, and there are hundreds of young guys just waiting for me. I hope you die tonight, stupid fool. You think I can't live without you? I can't live with you. Drop dead. (laughs) And walks out of the room. Walks out of the room. And he's sitting there, the old fool. What? I can't believe it after everything I did for her made her famous and everything he's like he's very broken he doesn't want to die alone it's very scary doesn't want to leave this world by himself so he calls in the second wife and he says to her I know I haven't been a good guy I know I went and I married this young girl and it was stupid and I, I thought she really loved me and I just found out that she really doesn't love me but us two, we, we were together for so long. If you could just find it in your heart to forgive me, would you lay down next to me and die with me so I don't die alone? And she looks at him and she says, maybe I would have if you wouldn't have cheated on me with this and married this young girl. She said, but I'll tell you what I'll do for you. Because we were together for so many years, not like her, you have my word, I won't marry anyone else. I'll die, single woman. I will not marry anyone else. And she walks out of the room. He's like, okay. But that doesn't help me at all. And he's dying. And in, walks into the room, the door opens up. This old, old lady, filthy, in ripped clothing, unkempt, not taken care of. She looks anorexic scary and he thinks it's the angel of death and he says have you come to take my soul is this it is it over and she says I'm not the angel of death so who are you he says she says you remember a very very long time ago we got married and you told me that I can't see you and I have to be on the other side of the castle 
I just want you to know something. You need to love me. When I was madly in love with you, the second I saw you, I lived on the other side of the castle, but my whole life, I watched you. I watched you every time you walked. I watched you every time. I was behind pillars. I was behind trees. Wherever you went, I watched you. I could not live without seeing you. He says, so why do you look like this? He says, you didn't take care of me. You didn't feed me. You didn't buy me clothing. Nobody took care of me because you didn't want to have anything to do with me. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. He says, so why are you here? He says, because at the end of the day, if you're not going to be here, I don't want to be here. I will die with you together. And he lets out a cry. And he says, What? This is what I did to the one that loved me? This is what I did to the one that cared about me? My whole life she watched me and followed me? This, these other two I took care of? And look at her, she's ready to die with me? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry what I did to you. Had I only known. It's okay. I'm going with you. We're going to be together for eternity. This is a story of all of us. This is a story of our soul. When we come into this world, when a soul comes into this world, it's all excited. It's being put into a body. That body's going to put on tefillin. That body's going to do mitzvahs. 613 mitzvahs. It's going to be an amazing marriage, the two of us. Right? You're going to do the goof. I'm going to do the neshama together, a team that can't be beat. I love the guf. And the guf says, you? I had no choice. I didn't want a soul. I didn't want to be born Jewish. I didn't want a soul. You? I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with you. You? Go in the corner. Ruchnius? Spirituality? Go in the corner of the castle. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to have fun. Like we started in the beginning of the mission. I want to hang out with all the girls, so to say. I'm not meaning girls, but hang out with all the gashmias, all the physical things in the world. And then when I get older, I want more physical things. And then one day, the goof is dying. The body's dying. And the body says, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go back to the next, I don't want to go to the next world alone. So the goof calls all its gashmias things. It calls its money, its house, its cars, everything that it's covered, its honor, everything that it has, materialism in the world. And it says, you said you can't be without me. You know, without me, the house ain't nothing. Without me, the clothing is nothing. Without me, the car is nothing. I mean, it's all about me. Without me, my business can't exist. Without me, the guys can't, you know, there's no party, there's no group. You know, I'm everything. So, you said, money, you said, I have to work hard, work hard. We're going to hang together. Now I'm leaving, go with me. And the money says, you idiot. You know what you did? You made a lot of money. Now you're going to die, and I'm going to go to someone else. And he's going to spend me in a different way. And he's going to invest me in a different way. You're old, you're dead, goodbye. We're going to go to the stock market. We're going to go to Atlantic City. We're money, all that money you made. We're going to flip buildings. Bye, drop dead. Like she said. Goodbye, says the money. Have a nice day. I belong to your kids, to your lawyers, whatever I belong to, to the state. Bye, all that way. And you're like, but oh my God, I worked so hard for you. My whole life, I spent so much time with you. What do you mean you're not going with me? Fool. It's called Zuzim money. Because it goes from one to the other. Zuz 
It moves from one to the other. It's not yours. When you die, you don't take it with you. Okay. It's my family. The second wife. My family. I spent so much time. Kids. Right? My nephews. My, my, my whole family. I spent so much time with you. So long. Will you come with me? Are kids jumping into the grave with them? Are your friends jumping into the grave? You, uh, no. They're like, listen, well, there won't be another you. We're not, we're not going to have another you. We understand that. And we'll make sure that, you know, no one's going to be like you. We're going to remember you. You're special. Like the second one. I'm not marrying someone else. I'm never going to be as close a friend to you as I, you know, to someone else as I was to you. Like, okay, right. You know, daddy will never forget you till tomorrow when we see the will. But we'll never forget you, dad. Right? Till the grave. Oh, we'll never forget you. A year later, they're like, oh man, too much Kaddish. It's so hard to down for the Ummah. It's so hard to say Kaddish. Thank God it's over. That was a long connection. Right? Thank God it's over. I don't have a year. I'm out of the year. I'm, I can go to the movies again. Like, you were good for a year? You know, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So they don't go with you either. So the, the goof is freaking out. It's like, what did I spend my time my whole life? Money and family. That's it. That's where I spend all my time. Money and family. And neither are going with me. I'm all alone. And then right before a person dies, the neshama comes to the goof. And the goof says, who are you? And the goof says, and the neshama says, I was the first one. I was always in love with you. I was always in your head telling you change, change, spend some time learning, spend some time praying, spend some time with God, change, work, do... And, and, and you just... You never fed me. You never took care of me. And this is what I look like at the end. And the goof says, Oh my God, had I known you, Nishama, that you loved me from the beginning, I would have never wasted my time on those other two queens. I would have never wasted my time on all that money. And my family's not a waste of time, but there's only a certain amount of time. I would have learned Torah and I would have done mitzvahs. And I'm really sorry. And then Nishama says, I can't stay here in this world without you anyway. I have to go with you. The goof and the Nishama go together. But it's too late. The goof like, now it's too late. I'm the one that loved me the most, which is my soul, which is me, which is my essence, I didn't take care of. I just let him rot in the corner somewhere. So we have to be smart enough to understand that. And we have to be smart enough to understand that we're the ones that made it. Each one of us in this room, we made it. Our odds was one in a million or more. That was our odds to make it. And we beat those odds. So we can beat any odds. We have to believe in ourselves, and we have to do tshuva, and we have to this month go back to that first queen, find her, dress her up, take care of her, feed her, and 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 that way we don't have to wait till the last second when it's too late. May Hashem give everyone a richas yamim and a You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.